Alex Suavani is a multidisciplinary artist who works primarily as a sculptor. In this conversation, we learn about her love of toy art sculptures, the expansion of her work into public art, her future ancient style, and her evolving emphasis on music. This is Arts and Ideas, and I'm Floyd Hall. Funding for this program is provided by the Fulton County Board of Commissioners. I'm Floyd Hall, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with visual artist, musician, and sculptor, Alex Suavani. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Glad to have some time with you today. Tell me about your first favorite brand and your first favorite toy, and why were those so important to you? My favorite brand is probably what Pharrell Williams created with um, ice cream. No, I lied. I lied. My favorite brand is what Nigo created with Bape. Um, he created a world with his stores. He created a culture within those stores. He had music. He was a DJ. And he had a great narrative that he was pushing about um, consumerism with his brand that was really inspiring to me, especially because the, the design and the colors were so amazing. Um, and my favorite toy, um, the first toy that I actually saw was um, a Geisha Girl by Sam Flores, a very, very old toy. Um, Gorgeous, completely gorgeous, and I never got over it. <laughs> Take me back to your childhood growing up in Louisville, Kentucky. What was that like? What were your influences? Who was who was your best friend? What was your home life like? When did you <laughs> become introduced to art in that in that moment in your life? Um. Okay. Well, um, I started off living. Um, in downtown uh, Louisville, Kentucky, around like Shabu Park. Um, and there, you know, we didn't have a, a lot of money. Um, so my mother was really adamant about making sure that whenever she could, she gave me some type of form of entertainment. And usually those forms were um, a Disney VHS, a Disney book, and then like as many um, craft kits, like bracelet kits or like, um, you know, like easy bake oven or like um, the most common thing was like a coloring book and crayons because you can get them at the grocery store. Um, and as I grew up, I just continued those practices because I, I learned from there that it was important for me to kind of make my own fun and um, entertain myself with, you know, crafts and, um, you know, coloring, drawing things. And so as I got older, probably around like, um, Seven years old, um, probably around five, we moved out of downtown. We moved to the suburbs around Crestwood and um, got a good job. And we, I got a computer when I was like seven. And I didn't know what to put into the computer. 
we I got like you know the internet used to come on discs back then and like AOL discs you get like a, a free 60 minute disc from like Tinseltown or something like that so around like seven years old I put that in the computer I had like an hour of internet and I didn't know what to put what to search as a seven year old so I searched art because I knew that I liked art and I found art toys um, around seven and I never got over it I couldn't believe that there were toys that looked like that toys by like Sam Flores and Robot um, Kid Robot and um, uh, just so many artists I can't even like I'm getting overwhelmed even thinking about it cause uh, um, Future of 2000 and um, from there I just like picked up clay and um, started working trying to figure out how to sculpt my mother was always really really supportive of that and I just never stopped I never stopped um and I would even pick up other things like I would pick up like design I got really into um graphic design and branding design and I got really into music around fifth grade and I just never stopped making things because I started out knowing that that's the way that you kind of operate it's kind of how you um entertain yourself you know as you go get older things get a little bit more refined and you get better tools you get better supplies um and i never stopped thinking about branding i learned about branding probably in fifth grade as well as i started learning about music and i just never quit even in college i went to school for graphic design with the intention of being able to communicate brand um, with the graphic design I'll admit that I first encountered your work um, via the digital platform Instagram, but mm -hmm. I first encountered it in the real world um, via an installation that you created for um, Dashboard Show in Atlanta. And the piece that you made was called, is called, excuse me, Atlantis Rising. And mm -hmm. I was so... I was so impressed by that work that I began to look you up and discovered a lot of your smaller, more intricate works that I really mm -hmm. fell in love with those also. So I want to get to talking about your your smaller sculptures, but I guess just starting with Atlantis Rising, um, can you talk about your intention with that particular sculpture and um, what what did you want to and what you wanted to convey with that, and I guess just your response to your own work and the public's response to your work, how is that making you feel right now? The public response is pretty crazy. Um, you know, when you're doing something, it was my first public art piece. Um, it's a huge endeavor, um, and it's it's exhausting in many ways. It's exhausting. Um, do the research to kind of make sure that you can actually execute it and create an accurate budget. It's exhausting to do um, communication to kind of like manage um, communication ways between different uh, moving parts like um, logistics and fabrication and supplies and finishing and it's a, it's a lot. Um, 
And after all of that, to sacrifice all the time and the energy and um, put in all this effort, the response is ridiculous. Um, to have so many people feel so so seen, um, so inspired, um, it's, a, it's a huge moment, um, especially for um, my community. Um, I'm from the um, Castleberry Hill, uh, Peter Street Station, 333 gang um, of artists. So um, this is a... We, this is a pretty huge endeavor because sculpture is something that's less accessible, especially at this um, this scale, um, for people who aren't coming directly out of like an academic, um, institutional resource <laughs> resource packet. So it's like it's a really inspiring thing. Not only just the the image of it, but the the magnitude of of the the feat, like being able to execute it, is also inspiring. And so, just the way that people have, you know, hit me up in DMs. Like when I first posted the picture, it was like my DMs were in shambles. <laughs> people have been reposting it, taking pictures with it. And it just feels really good. It feels really good. I love to hear that. I was moved by the piece. I was instantly hooked when I first saw it online, and I had to go see it in person. And I was just so excited. I want to see it bigger. I want to see it replicated. I want to see a larger yeah. version of it. I was just sort of just, you know, going on and on with um, with my thoughts on it. And I guess after seeing that piece and then learning more about you and this notion of future ancient and how mm -hmm. you approach your work, a lot of that began to make sense to me. But I, I would love if you could maybe explain what the the premise of future ancient means to you and how that piece atlantis rising um reflects that yeah um future ancient was a a, a term that um kind of arose in conversation with one of my uh, collectors um and pretty much the subject matter of my work comes from years of research that I did in my teenage years in high school, um, looking for um, spiritual value in places that are non-traditional to somebody who lives in Louisville, Kentucky and comes from, you know, traditional background. So um, I was looking for anything that connect me, connected me to the continent of Africa, um, looking into like Egyptian symbology and, and mythology or um, you know, the Dogon, uh, Yoruba, um, all these different alternative um, spiritual practices that weren't accessible to me um, growing up in like a, a Baptist type of background household. And so all of that kind of funnels in and the, what I'm trying to do with my work is kind of bridge this gap between what was lost and how it would look if we uh, kind of grew up with that. Like, what if you grew up with Europa or, you know, uh, ancient Egyptian mythology in your household? And what would those um, those toys look like? Like, children learn so much from play. And they learn about relationships. They learn about their place in the world. They, they learn about so much from being able to act out scenarios with these symbols for 
um, sometimes symbols for power, like a superhero or, um, uh, you know, a, a Barbie doll or whatever, like a relationship or a household situation. So what would it look like to kind of have in your hands um, a symbol for um, for knowledge or a symbol for your femininity in like a very spiritual context in your as a child and and what would it look like if um we uncovered in the future because it's like future ancient right in the, in the things that we are making right now are going to one day be ancient to someone so what would it look like to kind of think in in that context and create things as if you wanted your predecessor to uncover it and what would they think of that and what kind of visual uh symbolic symbolic language can you use to communicate to them um from this position i think that hearing you talk about that now and reflecting on not just atlantis rising but also some of your your smaller works um i think that there's some obvious symbolism happening in the actual work. I think that's pretty apparent when you first look at the work, but mm -hmm. I guess what I'm, what I was struck by is that there was this sense of, at least with some of the, the smaller pieces that um, it felt as if you were trying to provide a way for people to access that, in their own way, whether they have done the research right. that you've done or not, but it just felt like within each of those smaller pieces that I've seen of yours, that it's almost like you're you're beckoning or inviting the viewer to begin to unlock some of that thinking in in their own you know space, however they come to it. Yeah, um, actually, you're right because especially in, in my last um, my solo show, my first solo show at Peter Street Station. Um, the show is called Stage Two, and the entire um, show was about kind of exchanging this duality between ancient symbology and like my matriarchal, um, my matriarchal um, oral tradition. So everybody has a, a oral tradition in their in their household, like little sayings that like your your parents or your you know, aunties and uncles and cousins would say over and over and over again that become almost like scripture um, that you remind yourself of as you, you know, walk through life. And I wanted to take those things and use them as if they were pieces of scripture and put them in the position of how I hold them. So, like, I wanted to make a piece called Can't Call Your Ancestors because my mother always says that calling your ancestors, when you feel like, you, you know, you need guidance or you need protection, you call your ancestors. And that's something that I carry with me um, a lot. And I wanted to take that out of, you know, my head and out of the oral tradition and kind of see what it would look like if it was put in a language as if it was something that was scripture or if it was something that was ancient um, that she was pulling from. Um, and it is something ancient that she is pulling from. It is that is a uh, a traditional thing. Many tradi many um, religions have that um, the idea from South America to Africa and, and beyond. Um, also, um, there was like 
Bible, Bible verses that I um, repeat to myself that my grandmother would tell me, like, um, I forget what the actual <laughs> uh, name of the Bible verse is, but it, uh, be as innocent as a, as a, be as wise as a snake, but as innocent as a dove is like um, a very short version of a Bible verse that my um, grandmother would say all the time that I carry with me. So it's just really communicating that the things that you have are, the things that you repeat to yourself are are divine. They are divine. And walking in that and knowing that it, it puts you in a different headspace and you appreciate and love what you have more um, and understand more that you have the power to create and communicate with the divine within your walking life. You mentioned that you were out of the the Peter Street or I guess the Castleberry Hill art community. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering with with you having a, an, an emphasis on sculpture and I don't know how um, prevalent sculpture is in sort of those art circles. I know from my sort of understanding of a lot of the visual arts in Atlanta, um, you know, painting is always pretty popular. Um, but when I think about sculpture, at least the kind of sculpture work that you're doing, it seems like it's pretty, it's pretty rare. Um, so mm-hmm. I would want to get some perspective from you on what has it been like as, as a sculpture artist to sort of form your own, you know, your own lane or your own community or your, I guess, foster your own visibility, if you will, around your work as you began to grow your art practice. What's that, what's that been like for you? Um, well, that's a big question. Um, so, well, firstly, um, how about the Firstly, sculpture is not very accessible for multiple reasons. The first reason why it's not accessible is because the materials and tools are expensive and they're bulky and it's just a pain to deal with. Um, if you're working with metal, it's dangerous. It's, you know, it's high temperature. It requires a lot of space and expensive equipment. If you're working with you know, uh, pottery with clay, it requires, it's very messy, even though the materials are fairly inexpensive, you still need a kiln, which can, which can be really expensive and uh, pretty dangerous to operate if you know what you're doing. Um, resin and mold making is what I use mostly, and it's pretty expensive. And, you know, there's other options. There's, um, you know, a sandwich hook you can, you can use, uh, found objects, you can use, um, you know, plaster. There's cheaper modes. But in general, artists aren't afforded the space and the resources to execute such a thing. So um, I've been great. I've been um, fortunate enough to have um, the internet <laughs> and to have a mother who is very supportive of me at a young age to be able to have uh, space and to be able to to know how to operate in in less space um, with less money to execute the things that I execute, but really it's all about um, just design, really. Um, Everyone that I operate with in Peter Street Station are interested in sculpture, but um, they just didn't have the means. There's not many sculpture teachers in high schools and um, 
they're not there's not very um, good ones sometimes in some institutions that aren't actual art institutions. Um, so it's just not very accessible to learn and to keep up as a practice without having a complete dedication to whatever the result is that you're trying to execute. Um, that's one level of it. The second level of it is um, the way that I found sculpture was really just product design. Because if you think about it, a toy, which is how I got introduced to sculpture, which is what I've been trying to execute this, execute this entire time, is a is an um, a product of industrial design or product design, and we interact with sculpture a lot, and people are drawn to sculpture just the way that they're drawn to product. Um, to hold something, to hold a beer bottle, that's a sculpture. Uh, a purse is a sculpture. A, a pair of shoes is a sculpture. Um, even virtual Abloh kind of communicates that as well. Anything that holds a three-dimensional form is a sculpture. People appreciate it um, without knowing how much they do appreciate sculpture. So it's easy to communicate that value, especially using uh, uh, toys, which is a very accessible point in sculpture um, to communicate as well. Uh, so it's been pretty easy to get people to identify the value in the work. And it's, I've been really, really fortunate. I have a, a really nice collector base that's been very, very supportive of me so far. And it's, it's been overwhelming. It's been, <laughs> I'm so grateful. What does play look like for you as an artist? Play. Play. Mm -hmm. Sense of play, sense of exploring or playing around with your work or ex just, I guess, making things for enjoyment or or learning. What, is, what does play feel like or look like for you in your work? Hmm. You know... That's a good question. Um, play looks like everything else but sculpture, honestly, <laughs> um, because um, sculpture is hard, and it's hard because it's time-consuming. The, 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 first, the first parts of actually sculpting um, the material, like working with clay, can be pretty fun. It's like discovering the the forms is pretty fun discovering the subject matter and executing it is pretty fun um but the mold making process and casting can be pretty stressful and trying to get it right and get the flow of, of material and everything correct can be pretty stressful. but so honestly my play comes more in the form of other art mediums so i color like i get paint out a lot of colors out and i do some abstract work or I make some music, or I go and do um, anything that's not sculpture is play to me because in that I discover things that will influence my sculpture. I, I discover, you know, feelings or images or uh, color variations that are inspiring to me, and that will influence um, what I do with my sculpture. So what's the next big idea or what are the the ideas that are informing you right now or the things that you want to pour into your work going forward what's 
what's informing or inspiring um, where you're headed to right now? My last bodies of work were really me breaking out of my um, artistic adolescence and kind of closing the door on um, things that I want to explore about spirituality and drawing connection from um, myself here to the continent of Africa. Um, now that I feel like I've gotten some solace in, in, those, in those pieces of work and um, from the research that I've done, I feel like it's time for me to kind of self-actualize as an artist and bring in everything that I I value across mediums um, and across my work in general and make something that's really me, um, if that makes sense, like really focus in on my identity and who I am versus what I'm looking for. And so um, I'm really focused on bringing together sculpture, um, which is currently a, a function of fantasy and design and, mer- and merging that with music, which has been a huge part of my life since I was, you know, tiny, um, and which is a, what I'm in New York doing right now, doing research and making music um, to make something that feels completely organic and um, authentic to who I am as a person and authentic to the idea of creating the conditions of love. Um, because during the pandemic, I went and did an entire like map of my art, my art practice and why I do what I do and how it started. And I have an entire timeline describing what it is I do, why I do it, what, what it stems from and what I'm trying to do um, as an overarching theme. And the conditions of love have been a pretty consistent theme within everything that I've done thus far. And I'm continuing on continuing that narrative within my work. But the most important part at this point is merging the fantasy and design of what I did in my previous work with the music content that I'm creating right now. And, and more public sculpture, because you're right, when you, you said something earlier um, about it needs to be bigger. Yeah, like you are right. Like as soon as I, I executed, I was like, man, it's too small. It's way too small. <laughs> I had to make it like, like six feet taller. So it gets like more public sculpture and more uh, dancing and design merging with music. And since you mentioned music, I, I do want to touch on that somewhat. Talk about your music making or how music is integrated into how you're making art or just how your artistic expression um manifests itself in that way man okay um i learned about music about around the same time that i learned about brand and it's incredibly influential upon my um my practice because even with the toys after doing a little bit more research as i got older what i learned is the trickle down hip-hop created an entire art form, which is graffiti. And a lot of those graffiti artists are, um, they became, they were graffiti artists at first who just wanted notoriety and they trickled down into the art world because of capitalism. And they began making toys. Like Cause is one of the biggest artists ever right now. And he started out writing Cause on billboards and that's how he got popular. 
he got it he got popular by doing guerrilla art on the street and that's hip hop. And then he trickled down into the art world and now he's like highly revered and, and Sotheby's and Christie's and all these different um art collecting institutions. So that's that's one point of how music influences me. The second point is the um, the branding like Pharrell Williams and with what like Jay Z did with and Dame Dash and Kanye West are doing to not just create um really dope music but create character. Like you can think about character and brand with both of with all of those people that I named. You can think about um a, an image that represents that person in so many ways in, in their branding and what the products are that they, they, they created. And that all that is industrial design or product design that stems from their character or their integrity as a person. So um, that's that's kind of what I'm continuing on too. It's like it's not just about um, you know making great work, but also having ownership over that work and, and distributing it in a way that's contingent with who I am as a person and like with the culture that I come from, which is like hip hop music, um, and also. Music is like one of the best forms of like storytelling and narrative pushing. Like, there's cartoons and then there's hip hop. Like, there's cartoons and then there's music, telling stories and communicating narratives fast at the speed of sound. You know, faster than anything else. And that's what I'm doing with my work is is talking about is telling stories and communicating narratives. So it's incredibly important to me. And I've always done it. I've always done it on, on the low. <laughs> I've always made music on the low. I just never um, communicated it to the masses. And pretty much what I'm doing now is I'm doing the same thing in sculpture um, that I do. I'm doing the same thing in music that I do in sculpture, which is like communicate narrative. So I'm writing for people and taking their identity, taking their their brands, and structuring stories around that that they can communicate to their fan base um, with my writing. It all interlocks. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, Alex, let all of our listeners know how they can contact you, uh, follow your journey, and otherwise stay informed with whatever you have going on. The best way to get in contact with me and follow my journey is going to be on Instagram. I'm at Alex Swavani. Um, it's E-L-L-E-X underscore S-W-A-V-O-N-I. And there you can also have you can also have access to my um, website, the link in the bio. And my website is also alexsuvani.com. And you can find... Um, Whenever I'm dropping a new uh, toy or a print or whatever I'm working on currently, you can get all of that information right there. Alex Swavani, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.